0: Almighty Lord Jesus, you are our great King, the one from ancient times and the prophets foretold. You came to save us when we could not save ourselves. You were the sacrifice for our sins. None of us believe we are without sin. We all have our sins. And yet you are gracious and merciful and faithful to forgive us. We are so thankful for your love and your work on the cross. We ask forgiveness that we don't deserve. Holy Spirit, move us so that we might come to you. Almighty Father, thank you for your perfect plan. Thank you, Lord, for your servant Paul. Who brought us this message for us to understand? Lord, give us that understanding. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So, welcome everyone. Thanks for coming to hear God's word again. We're going to open up to another piece of the mystery that Paul explains to us here about the oneness in Christianity. Family's a funny thing. My mom is visiting right now. Um, Later this week, our oldest son is getting married. And marriage by itself, yeah. (laughs) Marriage by itself is a model of Christ and the church. And to see that and understand that and just glimpse it so very, very thinly through a human institution is something that's truly amazing. It's a blessing from God that God gives us so that we can better understand the relationship between the church and the Lord. One of the things Mom wanted to do while she was here was to go visit the giant sequoias one more time. turns out she hasn't been up there to see those trees in over 30 years. Um, So we went to Trail of 100 Giants on Tuesday. It's a part of the Sequoia National Monument. The trees were magnificent. We got there at that hour of the morning. It was still very early. And the light was coming through the trees themselves, shining on the the bright red trunks. And so you had this really vivid red that we were walking as we were walking quietly between the, the trunks of these giant ancient trees. Some of those trees had been standing there when Jesus was walking in the hills of Judea, which is really cool when you stop and think about it. Later we went to the top of Dome Rock. It's a dome similar to Yosemite's Half Dome, not as famous and a bit smaller. But we got up there and it was starting to be warm. My mom had a interesting opportunity with her family yesterday. It turns out that I have an aunt that lives here in the United States. She lives down in Gardena. And, um, she and my mom had not talked in almost 30 years. They had not seen each other. My aunt, Aunt Yoko, she's 90 and she has dementia very badly. And there were moments of clarity when she understood, when we were sitting there, who my mom was and who I was. And then, but there were three times where there was this big reset and she didn't recognize who my mom was. We had to go through that whole explanation again. We were there about two and a half hours. But it was good to see my Aunt Yoko. She had always been a little difficult as a person. She suffered from schizophrenia and And so to see her in this state is a very difficult thing. My mom is 85. My Aunt Yoko's husband, my Uncle Herb, he's 86. And he's still doing very well, but he's taking care of her all by himself. It's very difficult. And I know it's it's particularly difficult for my Uncle Herb because he's not a believer. He doesn't have that understanding of why this, he should do this. And uh, it's, it's very difficult. Again, that image of, of Christ and the church. We all continually lift all of you to, up in prayer and hope that you are well fed on God's word, and you're healthy in spirit and body. We pray for you during your trials and difficulties. So there's just a little bit of a surprise. I was wondering how much of this I would be able to get through. Today, we're going to finish up Chapter 2 of Ephesians, and we're going to do all of Chapter 3. And there's a a, a punchline right there. All of this builds to this end of Chapter 3, and you'll see why here in a little bit. So I want to launch off. We're in Ephesians 2. 18 to 22, and then all of chapter three, verses one to 21. So let's go ahead and start. We open today with a piece from Paul that explains how the church of the Lord is made. So here we have verses 18 and 19. Ephesians two, verse 18 and 19. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God." Now remember, the Ephesians, these are are Gentiles. They're not Jews. They don't have this huge, rich 2,000-year history of coming out of Egypt and of Moses and of the law. And this is all new to them. They may have had little glimpses of this because of their Jewish friends, if they had any in that community. And now they're coming to understand how this all fits together and where they fit in together with this big picture. And, and it's a struggle for them because they and the Jews really don't get along, socially or, or in society or culturally. They, they don't fit together. And now here Paul comes along and he says, no, you are both God's people. Both of you are one as God's people. And this is difficult for them to understand. Now, long ago, the prophet Isaiah had foretold that God's good news would be to proclaim to people both near and far. So Isaiah 57, 18 and 19. Isaiah 57, 18, and 19. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace, to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. The gospel of Jesus Christ here breaks down the old barriers that had separated the Jews and the Gentiles. And it makes both of them into one people. It makes them into God's people. This is what the church is called to be. We are called to be both of those things. And we all have direct access to God the Father because of what His Son has done for all of us. So let's move on to verses 20 and 21. Paul continues, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Paul is describing exactly what the church is supposed to be. The church is the body. The church is the temple. The cornerstone of that temple is Christ himself. This, the, the imagery here exactly lays into both the way you would imagine the temple in your mind as well as the way the church is supposed to function. Christ is the cornerstone of the church. Christ is also the cornerstone of the temple of God. So Paul puts all this together. 1 Peter 2.5, 1 Peter 2.5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is our calling as Christians, as members of this church, of God's universal church that Jesus Christ is building that we are the living stones to be built up as a living sacrifice through Jesus to the Father. We are the body. It is why the church here is called Soma, which is the Greek word for body. We are the body of Christ. We are the body of believers. Let's continue on in Ephesians, verse 22. This is the last verse in chapter 2 in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul affirms that the Ephesians are part and parcel in the body of believers. They too are the Spirit of Christ, the body of Christ, the new temple being built by God. This new temple is the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul has laid all this groundwork Now, to explain his own purpose in why he is here in chapter 3. And this is why Paul is writing to them. So now we move on to chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. So Paul lays the groundwork for a prayer to the Ephesian believers here. Paul uses the word prisoner. We are all prisoners. But you are prisoners of one of two things you're a prisoner to sin, or you're a prisoner to Christ. These are the only two choices. You are either in Christ, or you are in sin. it, It is that simple. Paul chooses to be a prisoner to Christ. And by doing that, he's doing it on behalf of the Gentiles that he is reaching out to. We are prisoners to Christ, freed from the chains of sin, free to be sons and daughters of God. Paul is a prisoner to Christ on our behalf. Verses 2 and 3. Assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. So here in verses 2 and 3, you see Paul is granted the stewardship of Christ's grace by Jesus. It was given to Paul for us. It was Paul's purpose to do these things for the church, and to write these things down, so that we would have this understanding. Paul knew that this was his purpose in Christ. It's why he did the things that he did. Paul received all of this from God to give to us. Over in Galatians, Galatians 1, 15 to 19. Galatians 1, 15 to 19. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, which is Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Paul spent those years in Arabia learning from the Holy Spirit about Jesus so that he could tell us all these things about the church that we would understand this was Paul's purpose. Verses four and five. Paul continues. "When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to the sons of men, to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets, by the Spirit. Paul is, what Paul is saying is, there's a mystery that has been going on in the background for, since ancient times. And Paul and the other apostles are now revealing this to the church. In other words, this is something we should very closely pay attention to because he's about to tell us a characteristic of the church which it's there in the Old Testament, but no one realized that it was there in the Old Testament because they weren't looking for it. And Paul is saying, no, you need to pay attention to this part. And here's what Paul has to say. Verses 4 and 5. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Okay. In verses 4 and 5, the Old Testament is silent about the mystery of the gospel, unifying the Jews and the Gentiles. It's there if you look for it. And this was anticipated by the prophets. Isaiah 19, 24, and 25. Isaiah 19, 24, and 25. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth. Now stop and think about this. Egypt and Assyria are two of the enemies of the Jews at the time of Isaiah. And yet Isaiah is saying, no, there comes a time when Israel is a blessing with Egypt and Assyria to the whole world. How can that be? They're they're Gentiles, They they are outside the body of believers of the church. Isaiah is saying this is coming. If the idea that the Gentiles would be a part of God's promise, Paul could not have said this. Yet it does recur in the Old Testament periodically. It was simply and not yet clearly a part of God's plan yet. Paul, Peter, John, Mark, and Luke, as a minimum, all understood this after Jesus' resurrection. They all talked about this. verse 6, Ephesians 3, 6, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In plain English or Greek as it were, here he is telling the church, you are one people, Jews and Gentiles, you are all Christians. Now, I can just see both the Jews and the Gentiles in this, in this particular community and their heads are exploding. And and because they have never heard this. This is completely foreign to them in their understanding of the way the church is supposed to be. The Jews are God's people. The Gentiles are sort of along for the ride, but they can watch from a distance, but they are not a part of the promise. Or so they thought. Under this, Paul is saying, no, you are a part of the promise also by being believers. So now on to verse seven. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Paul was given this on the road to Damascus, when his name was still Saul. When Jesus appears to him, and calls him to be an apostle. Acts 9, 3-6. Acts 9, 3-6. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And then later in Acts, Acts 9, 15 to 16, Ananias is told to go visit Saul. And Ananias goes, no way. This, this, is, this is not happening. I am not going to visit this guy and to, to, to do this. And this is God's plan. No, you have to go do this. I, I'm reminded here a little bit of Noah, right? or rather, um, yeah, of, of, of Job. And um, so many little bits and pieces from the Old Testament come right here to this. Acts nine fifteen and 16. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias goes and talks to Paul and tells Paul to accept and believe in Jesus Christ. Verses 8 and 9. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. Paul describes himself here as the very least of all saints because he had been the one persecuting and murdering the believers. And now here he comes back again. Imagine what it must have been like for Paul to go out and now preach to the very families of the people that he had murdered. How would they view him at that time? Would they view him as a hypocrite for now flipping on his beliefs? Imagine what it was like for these families to hear Paul proclaiming the gospel. What would they think? What would we have thought if that had been us? Would we have the grace to forgive Paul? Paul was doing this to bring the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to explain to them the understanding of the plan of the mystery hidden by God for all mankind for many ages to be revealed. Verses 10 and 11. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he had realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Notice here the wisdom of the unsearchable riches of Christ are revealed through the church so that the rulers and authorities in high places could know of Jesus. God plans it this way. It was according to God's eternal purpose for it to be this way. And it was realized to be this way in Christ Jesus. Verses 12 and 13. He's talking again, continuing to talk about Jesus. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. The people were afraid of what what Paul was having to go through, fearing that they might have to go through the same things. It is because of Jesus that we, our sinful selves, can have the courage and the assurance through faith in Jesus that we can approach him and the Father. And Paul explains that the Ephesians should not lose heart because Paul is suffering for his faith in Jesus. But in fact, the opposite. This glorifies God. Paul is doing this so the Ephesians, and indeed all of us, can spend eternity in glory with God the Father. This is why Paul suffers. This is why we have the book of Ephesians. This is Paul's sacrifice for us. So Paul continues, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. This is Paul's purpose. This is why Paul exists. This is why he writes these things down in Ephesians, so that we can have this understanding. It is his great desire that Paul can bow before God the Father, God who has named every family in heaven and on earth. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit, in your inner being. God gives you His promise of His inheritance, the riches of His glory. And you are granted the strength and the power through the Holy Spirit, which is within each and every one of us. These are the immeasurable riches that God grants to all of us. This is some of the most pointed and strong language that Paul uses anywhere in the New Testament. These are the immeasurable riches that God grants to each of us. And it's done through the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul tells us we are a new creation in Jesus. Behold. I do. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, All of this is so that Jesus lives within us. This is manifest by our faith. It isn't that we have faith and these things come along with faith. It's the other way around. God grants this to us. And by being granted these things, God is saying, you are a child of God. He chooses you to be one of his children, each and every one of us. God chooses us in this way. And he chooses us to have his love deep down inside of us. We are the jars of clay, literally. You've all heard the phrase, from dust to dust. We are just jars of clay. God dumps this love and this purpose into us. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. And because of all this, we have God's love deep inside of us, and we're grounded and rooted to the love of God. Verses 18 and 19, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length, and the height and the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And God gives to each of us the strength and understanding of all the saints. What is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of the love of God? And you know and understand that the love of Jesus Christ in you surpasses all knowledge and understanding there is no explanation for this there's no scientist who can measure that God comes and gives it to you it is a free gift of God and this is so that you might be filled with all the love and fullness of God the power of the work within us how great is our God It cannot in any way be any better than this. Verses 20 and 21. Paul closes this section here. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, for ever and ever, amen. Paul closes this section with this short benediction. Paul's prayer begins with giving glory and honor to God and God's ability to give us exactly what we need and not what we want, beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension. Paul obliquely places his request before God that we remain in his will and serve his purposes. And Paul closes with grace and honor and glory to Jesus for all eternity. This is an incredible exposition of the gospel. Paul displays our brokenness. I've said this before. Despite our lack of redemption or value, God loves us. I cannot explain that. I cannot explain why God loves me. I know I am not worth saving. Jesus chose me to be here this day telling you this. Jesus purchased our redemption. If any of you have not believed in Jesus yet, and you want this free gift of God, all you have to do is accept Jesus as your savior. Do not wait. Pray to Jesus and ask him to come to your heart. Paul is giving us the slightest glimpse of the majesty, the power, the authority, the mystery, the love, the mercy, and the grace of God. Paul has this incredible understanding of all of this. And no one can write it down how incredibly beautiful and complete it is within the Gospel. We will all see the new Jerusalem coming down from the clouds that day, along with all the saints singing and praising glory to the Lord. There will be no sun, no moon, no temple, no comets to run out and look at either. Above all will be God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How beautiful and glorious that day will be. Let's pray. Precious Lord, we have been guilty of not always seeking the well-being of others. We pray and think selfishly. It is a lack of your love in our hearts was expressed in silence or willful rejection of your call to share love, truth and Jesus with our enemies. God, give us the desire to be swift in obedience to you, never to demand our own way or to question your mercy, grace, truth and authority. Give grace to this message. Let us see Paul giving display to your great power and majesty. How great you are, God. Let the messenger be small and of no consequence. Instead, let us all see Jesus, even as we are being made more like your son. We thank you and praise you. Amen.